barricades to truly receiving the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is its simplicity. The gospel is almost too simple. And in a world full of complications, in a world that puts great success and great emphasis on things that are difficult, the most powerful thing we can receive has been given as a gift by God and receiving it, entering in it, and living in it is so simple that it's profound. And today I want to focus on a very simple element of Jesus. Perhaps so simple that you may not have considered it deeply. Jesus was a son. Now when I say that, don't you almost have to take your theological lenses off for a second and and think about it not in the the titles of God, you know, the the labels of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Take take that off for just a second and consider that he was literally someone's son. And Jesus and his father had a father-son relationship before the earth was ever created. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it tells us the word was made flesh and dwelt among us in the form of Jesus Christ. But John 1 starts, in the beginning was that word, that word being Jesus. And he was in the beginning with God. And that all things were made by and through him. Matthew 3.17 is the account of Jesus' baptism. And when he comes up out of the water, an audible voice is heard. Not just by Jesus, but by everyone who was around witnessing it. An audible voice came from heaven and said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That word in the Greek, well pleased, it means the one I delight in. So the father delights in the son and loves the son. And they've had that kind of father-son relationship since before the beginning of our world. Now, now again, uh, take, take off the the church and the doctrinal lenses for a second and, and, and consider with me that we are made in the image of God and some of the things we do and the feelings we have, we have because God has them and he made us in his image. And every good father in the room knows what it's like to take delight in your son. Every good father knows the joy of playing with your son, having fun with your son. I think sometimes our lofty view of God uh, is misguided. Did you know that the Bible says in Zephaniah that God dances? I can imagine, you know, I dance with my little boys. You know, we put some crazy music on and jump around, dance around the house. Wonder if God the Father and Jesus ever danced around heaven. 
Did you know that God sings? The scripture says he delights over us with singing. If he sings over us, surely he sang to his son. Wonder what songs the father sang to Jesus the son. You know that little song, it's an old song. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. Well, I changed the lyrics from my little boy Sam, and every night before I pray for him, I hold him and I sing to him, you are my Sam shine, my only Sam shine. Just, just little things loving fathers do for their son. I wonder, I wonder if they ever played catch with the stars. You know, scientists will tell you that when you see a falling star, when it becomes visible to your eye, it's actually been falling for millions of years. It just came to the point in our galaxy where we were able to observe it. What if every falling star was the aftermath of a game of catch between God and Jesus? What if we are living on and in Jesus' science project? You know how your kids make models of the solar system or models of the world? You know? Can you imagine how much fun God and Jesus had creating this world? You know? And you know, they're kind of playing with each other, trying to one-up each other. You know, Jesus creates the Rockies. And the Father said, that is cool, son. Here's the Himalayas. And Jesus creates a dolphin, and the Father creates the massive humpback whale. Point is, that's it, all hypothetical, but, but the point is, they had a father-son relationship from the beginning. Point number one of our lesson today, Jesus the Son was given. Jesus the Son was given. Isaiah 9, 6 says, unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. Again, our text, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave. I think so many times we think of Jesus, you know, with all of his teaching and the Beatitudes and all of his teaching about turning the other cheek and forgiving people 70 times seven and all of those wonderful things, blessed are the merciful and all those things. We kind of tend to see Jesus as the merciful kind one and God the Father is like the austere judge. But you have to understand, it was the decision God the Father made out of love to give his son. How much love would it take for you to give up your son for somebody? Even, even for people that live most of their lives and don't even care. Levi was about four years old when he broke a bone for the third time. Wild boy. Uh, when he was born, uh, some neurological pathways were 
severely damaged in his brain and his motor skills were greatly, greatly impacted. And so he was four years old, but couldn't really speak. I wouldn't say he was nonverbal at the time. We had been in a lot of therapy, but really he couldn't articulate uh, what he wanted to, couldn't speak in sentences, couldn't, couldn't give you any kind of clarity or reason. It's not that he didn't have the words, and it's not that he didn't have uh, an idea of what he was thinking. It's just that he couldn't get it from his brain out of his mouth because of the neurological pathway damage and the motor skill damage. And so he broke his arm, and we didn't know. And he was screaming in the house, just screaming and crying and screaming and crying. And it took us forever to figure out what was wrong with him because he couldn't speak, couldn't say my arm hurts. So as a result of just him noticeably in a lot of pain, we rushed him to the ER and the doctors started, you know, trying to ask him, hey buddy, you know, does it hurt when I do this? Does it hurt here? Does it hurt there? And I was watching him and I, I knew he wanted to say where it hurt but he couldn't figure out how to get it out of his brain into, uh, into his mouth. And he was just suffering for a long time. And I had to excuse myself a couple of times and, and, and cry it out real quick and then, you know, wipe up and go back in because it was excruciating to me to watch my son suffer. And when you realize the intimate relationship God the Father and Jesus had, you have to consider that God the Father had to watch his son suffer, and he could have stopped it. He had to listen to his son wail and scream in pain, and he could have stopped it, and he did not. And the reason he did not is because he loved you. Number two, Jesus the Son was killed. I would like for you to try in your mind the next few times you hear about the cross or the next few times you hear the phrase, Jesus died for us, I'd like you to try to replace that in your mind with Jesus was killed. We, we all know that Jesus died, but, but that's not the whole lot of it. The, the whole lot of it is that Jesus, the son, was killed. And the Bible talks about this and uses that language more than you might think. Seven times in scripture it says Jesus was, was killed or Jesus was murdered. In Matthew 16, 21, Jesus is telling his disciples before the cross. He began to show them that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed, be raised the third day. And the disciples, I feel, were dealing with some of the same challenges of, of hearing and understanding and grasping that, that we do because they heard Jesus say this over and over again that he was going to go to Jerusalem and he was going to be killed 
And, and if they would really have grasped that, they would have tried to stop him. You know, if President Kennedy would have told all of his advisors and his secret service and everybody, I know when I go to Dallas, I'm going to be killed. They would have tried to stop him from going or at least not put him in a convertible. You know, Dr. King, if he would have told the people closest to him, when I go to Memphis, I know I'm going to be killed. They would have tried to stop him from going or at least tried to put some sort of preparation in place. Jesus told the disciples over and over again, I'm going to be killed. And it's like they heard it but didn't hear it. And I think the same thing is true with us. I think we hear about it. But, but has it registered with you that Jesus was killed? I understand that he died. But why did he have to be killed? Why did he have to be tortured to death and murdered? And the reason is because God the Father was doing more than just sacrificing Jesus. God the Father was making him a propitiation for our sins. God was making what he was doing serve as a propitiation sin. First John chapter two, verse two, look at the wording and he himself being Jesus and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but also for the whole world. First John four and 10 in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation our sins. You must understand this. You have to know this. This has to register deep within your heart. There were two things happening with sin while Jesus was dying on the cross. Two perspectives taking place. To mankind, Christ's death provided expiation, which means our sins expelled, our sins removed from us. But from heaven's perspective, the death of Jesus Christ provided propitiation, which means divine justice that has been satisfied or the need for justice being satisfied. Everybody say the need for justice. <clears throat> I know you probably haven't used the word propitiation in a long time. You know, it's not a word you use, you know, in normal everyday vernacular, but, but it, the word connotes and communicates that there's a deep need for justice and then it's satisfied by propitiation. The best way I can describe this and forgive me for the crudeness of the, rea of the analogy, but the best way I can describe this is if you had a family member that you loved very much and they were murdered and the judge convicted the wrong person and there was proof you know perhaps later dna evidence came out that proved it was the wrong person you would have within yourself a cavity a deep longing for justice to be served because the wrong person was convicted which means the person that was guilty is still out there 
and you would have a need for justice. By the same token, if it was proven beyond doubt that they caught the person who was guilty and they were tried and convicted, you would still miss your loved one and you would still have grief, but if you knew the person responsible was tried and convicted and punished, you would at least have your need for justice satisfied. Now the challenge God had with saving us and forgiving us is that God does not just love justice, he is justice. It's a part of his makeup and very nature. God does not just love holiness, he is holy. God does not just love righteousness, things being done the right way and right standing. God is righteousness. So for God to come along and just pat us on the head when we sin and say, oh, it's okay, I forgive you. The problem with that is when we sin, there's an outcry that justice be served. When we steal from someone or we lie or we commit sexual sin or or we commit sins of anger and rage, or we commit sins of violence, or we commit sins of abuse, whatever they are. Every sin releases out a demand and an outcry for justice, and it grates against the nature and character of God when an injustice has been committed. So God could not just simply forgive our sins, or he would be an unjust judge. If you and your family were, were stolen from and robbed and, and there was an outstanding amount of money that was owed to you because someone stole from you and robbed you and you went to court and, and the person that robbed you started crying in front of the judge and saying, I'm so sorry and please, please forgive me. And the judge had a tender heart and he just said, you know what, I, I just forgive you. There's no punishment. There, no restitution has to be made. No justice has to be served. I just, I, I love you and I, I see your tears and my heart is moved for you, so I just forgive you. You would walk out of that court saying that is an unjust judge because the forgiveness that one received cost you having to live in a depleted state and live without justice being satisfied. So it is with our sin. It is an outcry. It releases. Every act of sin releases an outcry for justice. So God could not just forgive our sins. And the other thing is, Jesus could not just die for our sins. When people say that, it is a gross oversimplification. Oh, we all know that Jesus died for our sins. But that's too simple because, again, it's unjust for a judge to punish an innocent person for something a guilty person did. Okay. So go back to propitiation. How did Jesus become the propitiation for our sin? How did he satisfy the righteous judgment of God and the need for justice to be done? He did it like this. He did not die as an innocent man. Jesus died guilty. See, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, he knew no sin. 
God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What's that mean? It means that Jesus, he didn't just die so your sins could be forgiven. Jesus took on your sin. Jesus took in your sin. He never told a lie, but he became lying. He never committed murder, but he became murder. He never abused anyone, but he became abuse. He never terrorized anybody, but he became terror. The most vile, disgusting, filthy things in our broken world, Jesus became on the cross. That's what propitiation means. So that the worst thing you've ever done, Jesus absorbed it when he went to the cross. Jesus became your guilt when he went to the cross. Jesus became your vile sin and evil desires when he went to the cross. So when he died, the punishment levied against him was, in fact, the punishment for your sin. That's what propitiation means. And God made his innocent son not just die, God made his innocent son guilty so that we who are guilty could become the righteousness of God by faith in him. Jesus never sinned and we were never truly righteous. So the one who never sinned became sin. So the ones who could never be righteous could be righteous by faith in him. This gospel principle means that if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are the righteousness of God by faith in him. Because the worst things you've ever done were in him when he died. Your guilt and your condemnation were in him when he died. Therefore, as far as the righteous requirements of God's justice are concerned, you have been made free from the charges of the sins you have committed. It's like the old song says that we quote in a colloquial way by now. It's not registering anymore. It's not deep anymore. But the old song says... He that the Son has set free is free indeed. Why am I free? Because Jesus considered and counted up all that I would ever do and all that I would ever owe to satisfy the justice requirements of God, and he paid it in his body when he was dying on the tree. You got to understand, Jesus died for your sins, your past sins, your present sins, your future sins. Jesus died for your sins. 
That's why the writer said that sin should have no dominion over us anymore because Jesus broke its clutches. Jesus broke its hold. Jesus rendered it powerless because he already paid the full payload of the righteous requirements of the justice of God. That's what propitiation means. So, so on the cross, he's doing two things. One thing on earth, one thing in heaven. On earth, he's providing expiation to cleanse us from our sins, to remove, to expel our sins from us. In heaven, he's providing God the Father, the righteous judge, propitiation. I, God the Father no longer has a need to settle the account of justice with you for what you did. Now, you may feel bad about what you did, you may carry some guilt about what you did. You may carry some shame about what you did. Maybe you hurt some people. Maybe you wronged some people. Maybe you abused some people. Maybe you told some lies. Maybe you, you really wounded the course of somebody's life because of your own selfishness. And it all catches up with you and condemnation comes and you feel so terrible about the things you have done. And I understand that. But when you go to God and pray about what a wicked wretch you are, if you have faith in Jesus, God don't know what you're talking about. If you have faith in Jesus, you're talking to God about a bill that has already been paid in full. You're going to God with your shame and you're going to God with your head down. God doesn't know why you have your head down. Because of what Jesus did on Calvary's cross, the full punishment has been satisfied. The full, the full debt has been paid. That's why. That's why. That's why the psalmist wrote, the, the hymn writer wrote. That's why he said Jesus paid it all. Let that register, let it resonate. Jesus paid it all, no matter how bad it was, no matter how much. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. He cleared me on earth. He cleared me in heaven. He saved me on earth. He saved me in heaven's courtroom. He blessed me on earth. He blessed me in heaven. Made a way for me on earth. Made a way for me in heaven. He was fighting for me on earth. He's fighting for me in heaven. He was, he was... He was with his arms stretched wide, infinitely and eternally reaching in two directions, one to you and one to work out things with the Father, and the only one that could do it was the Son. And the Father knew the only one that could do it was the Son. Oh, hallelujah. The Father knew the only one that could reach that far to catch us and yet reach that high to touch him was Jesus the Son. So with a bitter taste in his mouth and pain in his heart, God sent Jesus. God sent Jesus. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love. 
heal and forgive. He gave his life to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Because he lives, I can face because he lives all fear is gone because I know who holds my future life is worth living just because Point number three, the son was raised from the dead. So point number one, he was given. Point number two, he was killed. Point number three, he was raised from the dead. John 21, 14. John 21, this is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Did you know that you don't even need scripture to testify about the resurrection of Jesus? First of all, first of all, talk to any educated atheist even the atheists and the scholars cannot deny Jesus was a real person. He lived. There's proof of that. And he was crucified. There's proof of that. Now, they don't believe he's God and all that, but they can't deny he did live and he was crucified. But did you know that there is secular writing? I'm not even talking about people that had a whole lot of faith or apostles or whatever. There is secular writing of people that saw Jesus alive after he was crucified. At one point, the scripture says that he showed himself alive to 500 people at one time. And some of them went home and wrote about it. Hey, remember that guy, Jesus? We saw him alive today. We saw him get crucified and we saw him alive today. Scores of writing historical writing about people seeing Jesus after he was crucified. This is because God the Father raised his son up from the dead. Acts chapter 5, verse 30. The God of our fathers, raised, Stephen is preaching here. This is an excerpt of Stephen's message. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered, by hanging on a tree. He was raised up. Acts chapter one, verse three. Acts chapter one, verse three. I may not have given you all that one. Acts chapter one. I'll just pull it up here. Acts chapter one, three. It says, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Jesus, the son, was raised 
from the dead. And because he was raised from the dead, everyone who believes in him will also be raised from the dead. I'm going to say it again. This is what is known in scripture as the blessed hope of the believer. That because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, every person who believes in him will also be raised from the dead. That is good news for all of the people in here that are going to die one day. If you die believing in Jesus, one of the byproducts of that is that you will be raised from the dead just like Jesus. We believe no matter how long you've been buried, no matter how much you've decomposed, no matter if your bones have turned to particles of dust, that one day the supernatural power of God will reconstitute your body. You will be raised, listen, raised from the dead bodily, physically. The Bible says that when Jesus rose from the dead, that graves opened up all over Jerusalem and people that had been dead in some cases for hundreds of years were seen walking around because of the power of the resurrection that flowed from the Father to the Son of God. And the promise of the scripture is if you die in faith, if you die having faith and belief in your heart, concerning the Lord Jesus, that you will not stay dead forever. You too will be raised from the dead. 1 Corinthians 6, 14. Glory to Jesus. And God both. Stop right there. You need to read those three words on that screen with me. And God both. Oh, that's a powerful thing right there. If you ever get your mind and your spirit wrapped around those three words, it will change your theology. It will revolutionize your life. He wasn't just doing something for Jesus. He was doing something for those that believe in Jesus as well. And God both. Uh, I wish I had somebody that had some coffee this Memorial Day weekend that would read this with me like a church with some force. And God, and God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Let me tell you what your ultimate future is. Us up. I don't care how down you are, and I don't care how deep they bury you. They can bury your body at the bottom of the sea. Your, ulti your ultimate future is we are going to all, us, be raised up by the power of the resurrection of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 52. 1 Corinthians 15, 52 in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. That means he'll brush all the corruption off of you before he raises you up. The dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. 2 Corinthians 4, 14. Again, all this is possible because of the resurrection of the Son of God. Knowing that he, knowing, 
There's some things you have to know. There's some things you can't get through life unless you know. You, you can't just hope in them. You can't just believe them loosely. There's some things you have to know. Everybody that's ever buried a loved one, you have to know this. Everybody that's going to leave some loved ones behind when you die, you have to know this. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us. There it is again. Us. Up. Uh, us. Up. Lift your right hand. Say us. Up. He's going to raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. If you've ever buried a loved one and you're having a hard time getting over it, don't get all the way over it because you're going to see them again. If you're aching to talk to your grandmama, your grandfather, or your mama and your daddy, or your sister, or your brother, if you're aching because you lost a husband or a wife, and you just say, I just wish I could talk to them again, you will. If they died in faith in Jesus Christ, you will see them again. If you die in faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of of God. It's, it's almost like God, you know, now, now take the glasses back off again and just consider the emotion of a father and a son. It's almost like God thought so much about what his son did that, that he just said, anybody. <laughs> Anybody. Anybody that believes in what you did, I'm going to take them with you. Anybody, anybody that believes in what you, I'm going to take them with you. I, we, were at, uh, we were at a speech therapy session one day, and uh, I'm not going to tell you exactly what it was and what happened because out of honor's sake, I don't want to embarrass my son. But he, he got into a, a real big mess, and you can use your imagination. And there was a little kid there that saw what was happening, and he came and he, he covered Levi. He, he took something of his own off, and he gave it to Levi and he covered him. And I was sitting there watching that. I was in a rough place anyway. I'd been watching my son suffer so much and heart just gets tore up, you know. So when your heart gets tore up, you get real sensitive. And when I watched that kid cover my boy, I didn't know that kid. But I instantly loved that kid. Kid didn't do nothing for me, but he did something for my son. And what he did to my son made me love him. So watch what God says when it talks about salvation. Romans 10, 9. Romans 10, 9. It's like God thought so much of what Jesus did that, that he just decided to make it ridiculously simple. Oh, you believe in my son? 
Tell you what, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, I tell you what, you'll be saved. Don't care what you did. Don't care what your background was. Don't care all the mess that's on you. Don't care about your character. Don't care about your morals. I don't care where you come from, what you did, or who you did it with, or where you did it. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, God said, I'll save anybody. It goes on to say, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Is it really that simple? Almost, almost too simple, if you ask me. Guilt does amazing things to people. I have noticed that a lot of people that become the most severe and stringent and rigid and hard in their religion are often people that are trying to pay for things done in the past. I've noticed some of the most judgmental people and people that are so harsh with others, they really feel that way about themselves. And they are projecting outside of them what's going on on the inside of them. And like I started with in the message today, one of the barriers to receiving this kind of love and this kind of forgiveness and this kind of eternal life, one of the barriers is it's that simple. And you know, you don't even need anybody's help to do it. I'm going to pray for some people today because I want to minister to some people personally. But do you know that you don't need my prayer to get saved? I'm going to lead you in an ordinance in a minute, Holy Communion. But do you know you don't have to follow any ordinance to be saved? Did you know? that the thief on the cross was hanging there dying, didn't have time to go make restitution from the people he stole from, didn't have time to go say I'm sorry, didn't have time to go clean up his life and, and live better and be better and do better, didn't have time to get baptized, he didn't have time to take communion. But he looked over at Jesus and with belief, so I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you are who you've said you are. And God looked down at that guilty thief, said, I'll take you too. I'll take you too. I'll take you too. I'll take you too. 
because it, it really is that simple. As you stand to your feet, ushers are bringing communion. We are going to participate in this holy ordinance that Jesus said is often as you do it, do it in, do it in remembrance of me. I never like to serve communion without challenging people to see the body of Jesus. Close your eyes and imagine in your mind, reconstruct the scene in your mind. His body bruised, bloodied, and broken to pay the price for your sins, to provide expiation to you on earth and to provide a propitiation, a way for God to be just judge and still forgive you, a way for the guilty to be covered, forgiven, all made possible by the nails in his hands and his feet, the stripes on his back that ripped him apart, the crown of thorns twisted on his head, the spear in his side, all tools and instruments that helped break him down and, and cost him his life that was poured out for you. As you peel the, the top plastic off and hold the bread, I always... I always like to put a little crack in it, break it a little bit. Because when Jesus served this to the disciples, he broke the bread. and He said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Say it to yourself. He was broken for me. For what I did. For my wrong. For my sin. Jesus was broken for me. Let's take the bread together. Again, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Hallelujah. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains they lose all their guilty stains they lose all their guilty stains and sinners plunged beneath that flood Lose all the kids. 
The second verse says, The dying thief, he rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. I like this part. It says, And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. I can wash them all, all my sins away. Wash all my sins away. Uh, and there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins. I like to lift it above my head. As nonverbal communication that I believe and I trust that everything in my life from the top of my head to the sole of my feet is covered by the blood of Jesus. Jesus. Say it with me, Jesus. I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you are Lord. You died for my sins. And on the third day, God raised you to life from my justification. Let's take it together.
want to pray for some people. I feel an anointing to pray for some people. If you're in the room and you need prayer for anything, any reason you need personal ministry, come down. We're going to pray for you. We're just going to pray for you. We're just going to pray for you. You need anything, prayer for anything, prayer for any reason. The elders are going to come and help me a little bit. If you're just here and you need prayer, just come. Hallelujah.
we can talk just a little bit. There's been uh, like, like a wrecking ball going through some areas of your life and emotions and circumstances and things. And some things have been torn down. The Lord's bringing you into a season of his constructing. I see construction on all sides. And God is about to build your life. And some of it will be spiritual. Some of it will be in your faith. Some of it will be in your mind. But a lot of it's going to be in the surrounding world around you. God is about to take you some places you had no idea he was going to take you. He's about to build some things in you and through you and raise you up in a way that makes no sense. The things that are about to manifest in your life, you will be able to take no credit for it. You'll stand back and you'll say, I know that was God. I speak blessing over you in the name of Jesus. I speak restoration and construction over your life in the name of Jesus Christ. Don't listen to negative voices about your future. Don't listen to negative voices about what you're going to be and how it's going to develop. The Lord has it in his hand in the name of Jesus. Father, we speak blessing. And we speak accelerated recovery of what was lost and what was stolen what was what he was blocked out of that he should have had freely thank you lord for accelerated it's going to be accelerated everything faster than normal name of Jesus. We speak it over your life. We speak it over your life. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for opening big doors, opportunity, blessing. In Jesus' name. So um, when the children of Israel were at the banks of Jericho, 
they, the water needed to part for them to go in. And Joshua was there back when Moses did it the first time, you know? So Joshua stretches forth his rod like Moses stretched his, and the Jordan didn't do nothing. So Joshua sends the priests into the water knee deep, carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And when they got all the way out in it, it opened for them. There's some rivers. Some are, you know, certain levels of finance, for, for instance, certain levels of influence, you know, certain, certain rooms or whatever. There's some rivers you're not supposed to be able to cross because you didn't get the education, you didn't have the support, you didn't have the background, you don't have the experience, you don't have the help you need. You know, it makes no sense for you to cross that river. And some of those rivers that you still have the faith that you're trying to break into, you've been stretching a rod out, praying, seeking, nothing's happening. If you'll go knee deep in that thing you don't belong in, if you'll go knee deep in it, if you'll walk out knee deep in it, if you'll have the faith to go get in it, that thing will part for you. Don't let fear keep you from putting your water in that river. Don't stand on the safety of the bank and wait for it to part before you take a step. Go step in it because there's more. Yeah, there's more. There's more. There's more. And uh, don't, don't fall in love with love. Fall deeper in love with God. And everything you need will come. Get in the river. There's some stuff that's leaving today. stuff in your mind, some battles that you've had, some things you have not been able to get over, some hurts you keep revisiting, some wounds that won't close, and some stuff that's leaving today. Because what God has in store for your future is too important to be polluted by your past. And so sometimes we have to live to a place and get to a place where we can accept the fall off. And some stuff's falling off today. There's some stuff that family tried to put on you, some negative words. There's some generational stuff is falling today. God's ordering your steps. God's leading you and guiding you. So we speak the release over your mind, over your spirit. We speak the release right now over your life in the name of Jesus. I command every tie and cord that the enemy tried to restrict you with to be broken. I speak healing to your mind and to your spirit and even to your physical body. I speak no restriction. I speak a free flow right now in the name of Jesus. The favor of the Lord. The favor of the Lord favor of the Lord over your life in Jesus name in Jesus name in 
Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. There's a, it's a surprising amount of you. Matthew. Acts chapter 3. The lame man at the gate beautiful. He saw Peter and John. He said, alms, silver and gold we don't have, but what we do have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. They took him by the hand. The Bible says immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. The Lord revealed to me to lay my hands on you and command you to receive strength. So from the top of your head to the sole of your feet in your physical body, every organ in your body, the blood in your body, the tissues in your body, in the name of Jesus, we command you to receive strength. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. There's a surprising amount of you because it's like a faith church, you know? It's like a, um, it's like a faith church. And we don't let hard times, you know, we don't let hard times shake us. But there's like 30 of you that have really been worried about your provision because of what's going on, gas prices and inflation and whatever. And I have an instruction for you. If it's not you, don't worry about it. But there's 30 of you that need to sow out of your concern out of the threats that are all around you, out of worrying and wondering about what's going to happen. You need to get an envelope right now. There's 30 of you, and you need to sow a $100 seed and show God this world, this government, these, these situations in our neck, none of that is my source. My source is in you, and I believe by faith, and I'm willing to put something, a seed in the ground, to act on it, to forcefully make a demonstration of faith and say, my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory. If you're one of those 30, get an envelope right now. Get $100 or as close as you can get to it. You say, you know what, I know that's me. Get that envelope or get your phone out and text it. If you're in the room and you're not one of the 30, get whatever offering you want. This is our offering time where we honor the Lord with our free will offering. The tithe was in the beginning where we obey the word of the Lord to bring the time. But the offering is something that you're not commanded to do. It's something that you bring to God out of free will. So let's bring our God an offering. And let's bless his house in the name of Jesus. Father, for every person, we speak provision. We speak blessing. And Lord, we just thank you for Jesus the Son. And we thank you for what you're doing in the lives of people who boldly and radically trust. They trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand to your feet. If you have an envelope you would like to give, come bring it. If you gave on your phone, the Lord bless you. Thank you for your support. If you gave online, the Lord bless you right where you are. Thank you. For being with us we love you so much we'll be praying for you this week if you need anything call us let us know god bless you have a good rest of your day